I'll now hand over to Darius to make his announcement. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Lottie. Thanks, everyone, uh, for coming. Uh, I don't remember the first time I was told to play in the National Rugby League. I was 18 years old. Everything was happening at a crazy speed and everything was new. But I do remember the time that I decided that my NRL career would end. It was at a dinner last month when a friend asked me if this would be my last season. It had been in the back of my mind, but that one question made it feel urgent. And I knew right then that this would be it. There are more reasons why it should be my last season rather than why it shouldn't. <clears throat> so now it's time to tell you all that news. This 2020 season will be my last in rugby league. Welcome back to We Are Human. I'm Sam Thiday, your host. I'm joined today by a very special guest in Darius Boyd. For people that don't know Darius Boyd, uh, Darius was a professional rugby league player. Uh, he played 337 NRL games for three different clubs, um, won two premierships in that time, played 28 games for Queensland. Here is Ben Hammond, yet to be used in origin as a run-on player. He plays the ball. Harrison slipped it on to Tom, on to Slater. No look at Darius Boyd. Darius Boyd has levelled it up. Ah, oh, there was a lovely passage of play. And 23 tests for Australia. And he's got a pretty handy record, actually, for playing for Australia. In 112 years of rugby league, he is the only player to play and never have lost a game for Australia. So that's a handy little uh, record you got there, Dubs. It's a funny one, I guess. Um, I was in and out of teams throughout my career. And the ones that Australia we managed to lose, I was either not picked or not in the squad at all. So Smart, smart. It worked out well, and yeah, it's a pretty cool little record to have, I guess. It is a, it is a handy little record, and yeah, welcome on today, and uh, I really appreciate you giving us your time. This podcast is called We Are Human, and you know, throughout your career, you've been, uh, you know, especially towards the end of it, been very vocal about your own struggles and, and some of the things that you've been through as a person. Uh, it's just uh, magnified a thousand times when you're in the spotlight of rugby league. But I want to go way back, back to the start, and talk about your childhood and, and growing up. I uh, grew up on the Gold Coast, uh, yeah. played for Mudrabar Redbacks, is that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, a couple of teams, um, Park Sharks, Mudrabar Redbacks and uh, the Burley Bears. So yeah. as you know, it's hard to keep a team when you're growing up uh, with different choices and things going on as a teenager, I guess. So I had to move around a couple of different clubs, but yeah, it was a good time. When your friends leave and you want to continue playing footy with your mates, you got to kind of pick and choose what club to go to. Yeah. You had a bit of a, a different upbringing as a kid. You were raised by your grandmother. Um, how was that for you as a, as a, as a young fella? Yeah, I was um, probably one, one that I didn't really understand until I got to my you know, early adult years um, when you talk about you know, your support network and people you need to lean on and mentors, father figures, all those type of things. Uh, I never met my father growing up. So I was you know, basically raised by my mother, uh, my grandfather, uncle and grandmother. That was kind of my, my yeah. core support network and um, you know, for different reasons. My uncle and grandfather passed away at an early age. Yeah. Um, and then my mum had some you know, mental health battles herself which I really didn't understand at the time. So when I was about 15, I ended up moving in with my grandmother. I suppose there's a traumatic little period there for probably um, from 14, 15 up to 18, 19, 20. Yeah. Rugby league was you know, a big part of my life and all those different types of things, football training, athletes, carnivals. Um, but I didn't really understand it at the time. You know, I was probably quite young. Um, you talk about mental health. Um, you know, I didn't really understand or know what that was even about. So I was just doing the best I could with what I had and it wasn't like I said until my early adult years and 
and you talk about you know people you need to lean on and trust in your support network. I really just struggled with that and didn't have that, and that's when I probably you know probably started to go down a path that I wasn't um, liking. So essentially, at a young age, you were just trying to survive. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I said, my mum did a great job till I was fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, you know, did as much as she could, and you know, but you know, and my uncle and grandfather passing away, not meeting my father, so I didn't really have a, a mentor, I guess, or a father figure, yeah. a bit of a role model to look up to, but. I didn't really know any difference, so you don't really, you know. I enjoyed going to footy with my mates on Saturdays, going to athletics carnivals, I loved going to school, loved watching rugby league on TV, watching the Broncos. So I had a lot of things to be grateful for and enjoy. Yeah. Um, but it probably wasn't, like I said, until you probably move out under your own and um, you have to become an adult and, you know, pay the bills and, and live, you know, just a normal life that we all do. I think that's when you really understand about gratitude empathy you know support network all these things that you need yeah. to get through the challenges of life because you know life is a bit of a roller coaster and i think uh, that's when i really started to probably notice a bit of a downward spiral in myself or really understand that um, yeah, i did have a bit of a challenging upbringing and didn't have these people around me to get me through some challenging moments you can tell me to pump the brakes whenever and tell me to back off but um you know uh, growing up without a father have you ever uh, reached out and, and, and tried to find him? Yeah, I had, um, when I become, like you said before, rugby league, there's no secrets. Um, when it was kind of made public that I'd never met my father yeah. and, and all that type of stuff, um, there's a couple of articles in the paper. Two or three people reached out um, saying they thought that they might have been my father or they knew my mum um, when I was obviously well, back around my time I was born. And I did a couple of blood tests, just yep. to, DNA tests, just to see if that was... Um, if they were accurate and they were right and it didn't, didn't pan out to be so that was a bit of a strange time but I didn't yeah. really look at it as a uh, as a negative it was kind of something that I think I just had my first daughter at the time Willow yeah. so I, I was more looking at it as um, a good way to suppose know my background family tree my heritage um, so it's obviously to know a bit of that kind of stuff and could pass that on to uh, my kids I guess so it was more from that perspective I mean I was probably 20 Seven twenty-eight at the time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having a relationship with someone you'd never met before at twenty-seven, twenty-eight would probably be strange. Yeah, a bit so hard. I, yeah. I never looked at it at that kind of way. Uh, kind of more just to uh, understand my background a little bit. Um, but survived for twenty-eight years without a father, so it wasn't really something that I, I stressed or worried about too much. And I still don't. On one hand, you can look at it as a negative, um, but. You can also take it as a positive and it yeah. can make you stronger. And um, you know, for my kids, I want to be a great dad that's there and supportive and loving and interactive, all those type of things. I yeah, think. well, that's what I was going to ask you. How has not having a dad shaped you as, as a father yourself? Because you're father of two girls now, about to have a third girl. Mm. How does that shape you now as, as a father yourself? Yeah, I remember um, speaking to my psychologist about it, um, just saying, look, you know, I'm about to be a father for the first time. Any tips, any strategies? never had one so I don't know really what to expect you yeah. guys, well that's you can look at it two ways you can look at it in a negative way or you can take the positive you didn't have a, a violent father or a father that was um, not around or yep. doing you know bad by your mother or all these type of things that some people do grow up with yeah. so you have a blank slate you've got some friends that had really good fathers in their lives maybe you have some mentors or some coaches that you yeah. can take some advice off or some pieces that you see them being fathers and, and mould to be you know, the best father you can be you can take bits out of everyone so that's kind of the way I try to do it. I just try to be you know, loving, caring, uh, make it up as I went. And 
I'm really enjoying fatherhood. Is that why rugby league was such a massive thing in your life? Because that was a sense of stability. It was it was a bit of a family, and you had a, a lot of um, you know coaches. I can say myself, a lot of my coaches and school teachers were people that I really kind of lent on at a young age myself. Is that why you found a home in mm. rugby league? Yeah, I think so. I think um, you know, that mateship, um, teams, mm. being around people, because I probably wasn't around a lot of people when I was younger. Um, yeah, friendships, uh, mentors. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that drove me to rugby league and kept me in the game. And um, again, looking at the positive side of it and being grateful is that I think not having a lot of people around or not having stability in my uh, upbringing gave me that drive to find rugby league and to be the best I could be at it and be successful in it. And I think... I owe a lot in one aspect to my tough upbringing, I guess. Yeah, the instability as a, as a yeah, young kid. To yeah, to my success in rugby league and my career. So uh, I always look at that as a positive. You always kind of wanted to be a rugby league player as a kid. When was that kind of moment that you switched in your mind that you know pursuing a professional career was what you wanted to do? Uh, if you ask my grandmother, she said I was eight years old and I come home from school and told her I, <laughs> I wanted to be a professional rugby league player. Um, so she was probably a bit worried, but yeah, oh yeah, I loved it. I used to scream at the TV if the Broncos would lose. Um, I'm from the Gold Coast, so there was never a Gold Coast team that was stable anyway. We had yeah, the CEO the Chargers, yeah. you know, Titans come in, um, but I'd already made my NRL debut. So uh, the Broncos was always my team, and used to uh, occasionally come up, catch a train and watch watch a couple of games at ANZ yeah. Stadium before they went to SunCorp and. Rugby league was, like I said before, was a massive goal, a passion. I wasn't the best kid in my age group. I didn't make the Queensland team until my last year of high school. So it didn't look like it was going to be an option for me, but I wanted to, I suppose, give it everything I could possibly give, uh, whether that was training away from school and doing extras and all that type of stuff. So I knew that if I didn't make it, I gave it my best shot. But I suppose it wasn't really until the Broncos picked me up for a scholarship in my final yeah. year of high school. I actually repeated year 12, purely Chase their to dream. Play, play rugby league yeah. <laughs> um, and it worked out I played Queensland and Australian schoolboys in that final year of year 12 and uh, the Broncos picked me up on a one year deal made my debut the next year so this was all just a whirlwind for me but when you I suppose ask when did I really know I was going to make it I probably didn't the one year deal really worked out for you I can remember that first pre-season we did army camp that mm. first year yeah. and um, that was absolutely ridiculous it's probably one of the hardest army camps that I've ever done it's five days of hell pretty much uh, run by ex-SAS guys the first day was all about breaking us and uh, yeah you, you, you kind of you got through that you survived mm. uh, and you get into the season I think if your first year you played every game that year I one, missed, of, one of the only one, players missed yeah, one, missed yeah. one game yeah yeah, yeah I, was, um, I suppose that was. Yeah, I went to, went to schoolies for two days and then had to catch a train up to Brisbane and <laughs> move into the the Broncos' house, which I know you yeah, obviously lived there lived, as well. Lived there as well, and yeah. you gave me a lot of lifts to train in those early um, the early years, the early probably first season, first six months, definitely. Uh, so grateful for that. Yeah, it was probably just a realization that wow, this is like this is tough, and if if you don't have a strong mindset, you won't be here. And I'm, I think a couple of guys uh, in that army camp tried to leave halfway through. Yeah, I think um, uh, Greg Eastwood was one. Greg Eastwood was Definitely one of them. One. Yeah, he he was done. I yeah. can remember doing nighttime orienteering, yeah. and he goes, "I'm allergic," and they said, "To what?" He goes, "Whatever the hell's in there." <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was a pretty pretty crazy uh, first year for yourself. Yeah, we end up winning a premiership that year, mm. and um, 
you talk about getting a, a one-year contract. Did you think at that point in time you'd got through that whole season? You said you played pretty much all but one game. Uh, you win a premiership. Did you think you were good enough then? I think your goals always, you know, keep moving once you reach them. Yeah. Um, so obviously, I wanted to play, or I wanted to play for the Clydesdales, and end up jumping that and being in the round one team. And um, so then I was like, okay, I'm playing for the Broncos. And I think uh, we might have had a couple of injuries at the time, so I was hoping that when they, you know, Brent Tate might have been injured, I can't remember, but I was thinking, okay, if they come back, I hope I keep my spot. It was about keeping my spot, and I kept it most of the season, and then played in the grand final. Uh, and for the, you know, the next year, I wanted to, you know, keep that spot and improve. Yeah. And then. Um, it just keeps going on from now. I ended up playing in Origin in 2008, so then once you play in one game of that, you just don't want to you don't want to miss out. Yeah. You know, the grand final is the same. Once you play in the grand final, you want to be there every year. So I think your goals just keep changing and, and moving as you reach them, and uh, that was, I suppose, my mentality. You always try and move and, and change your goals as you go on throughout your career. Every rugby league player goes into every season wanting to win a grand final. And I was very young too. Back in 2006, I was 21. That year, I played for Queensland, played for Australia. We won a grand final. Play by seven to Siebert, running from Dominic Hart. Berrigan, then it's with Lockyer, now it's with Parker, now it's away for Casey Maguire. Loads it down the back. It's out for Lockyer. Lockyer away for Carroll. Carroll in for Tate. Here's a try. Tate goes in. Did the corner post go? I don't think so. Brent Tate scores. Brent Tate scores. Brisbane are the premiers. Brisbane are the premiers. I kind of took it a bit for granted. It wasn't until uh, 2010. You've left the Broncos now and you're down at the Dragons. You you win a a premiership down there. Was that a lot different, the 06 premiership to the 2010 premiership? Yeah, it was purely just because um, I was so young, that first one. I mean, like I said, I was just, I don't know, it was just a whirlwind. I was happy to be in the team. Um, I was on the wing. I just did my job, which wasn't very hard when you have Lockie and uh, Hodjo and Tate yeah. and Carmichael and all these players, and then you know, yourself, all the forwards, Webby, Petro, Brad Thorne, Cosa, like it was the star started team. It's a gun so team, yeah. you know, I was just doing my job and just happy to be a part of it, really. Um, but I think once I got to the Dragons, obviously I was playing fullback by then and been away from the grand final for a couple of years. Once you're there, you just want to be there every year. So I probably appreciated it a lot more and understood how hard it is to get there and how hard they are to win. You broke a drought down at St George as well. It was a long, long time since they thirty-one years, I think. Yeah, yeah, since they won a premiership. So that was that was a massive feat in itself. A big move in that time, like I said, was moving from Brisbane. So you know, very close to the Gold Coast, where yet you, you did have some family connections down there. You moved down to Sydney, a long way away from that support base that you talked about. Uh, how was that as a, as a massive move for you? Yeah, it was tough. Um, in saying that, I probably hadn't worked out the support network and you know being grateful and. Uh, have an empathy and a couple other things that I've you know learned over my last five or six years, but yeah, it was it was a challenge. But I look back at it in a really positive way that enables you to grow. Moving away from home, moving away from my friends, um, what I'm used to, my comfort zone, and I also got the chance to play fullback. Um, Carmichael was here when I was in Brisbane, so I was probably centre and wing. And if Carmichael missed a game, I'd move into fullback. But it gave me the chance to play fullback and um, and nail that spot down at the Dragons. But yeah, it was hard, especially being away from my grandmother at the time. She was um, only getting older and 
eventually, um, when she wasn't able to stay at home, move her into a, uh, a nursing home or aged care facility as well. And that was tough. Um, yeah. But in saying that, rugby league was you know, my goal, my passion, my dream. So I always had the mentality of you know, it's a short space of time and a period that you get to do it. Um, so I wanted to do whatever I had to to maximise that opportunity. Obviously went down with Wayne and uh, I thought, you know, Wayne could make me a better rugby league player, but I also thought he could make me a better person. Yeah. Um, that was the reason that you know, I always stuck with Wayne as long as I did. It sounds funny. You, you sometimes feel alone in a big group or around a rugby league team, which is surrounded by people, but sometimes you feel alone. Did you feel alone while you were down in Sydney? I think when you move away from home, um, and obviously I was there for one reason, is to play rugby league. Yeah. If you lose a game, uh, and I wasn't great at handling losses at that point in my, my life, um, rugby league was the be-all, end-all. And yeah. if we lost a the game, then my life was over. So that was my mentality at that time. But when you're away from home and you're there to play rugby league and it wasn't going the way I wanted it to go or we'd lose a game, that's when I really struggled because I felt like all I'm here for is to play rugby league. And if that's not going well, then you know, what am I doing? Yeah, it's, it's funny how, how hard you ride that roller coaster especially at a younger age and you really you really mourn the losses and they, they, they take it really hard at what point in your career do you reckon you kind of learn how to deal with the losses better than uh, than you used to as a young fella yeah I wasn't until I come back to Brisbane I did some work on myself mentally uh, with I went to a mental health clinic for three weeks and started seeing a psychologist regularly um, and just really worked on myself and um, some of the good pillars of mental health and, and what's important in life, yeah. you know, and I didn't have a support network, really, you know, I didn't know what gratitude meant, I couldn't even spell gratitude at the time I'd learned about it. Yeah. Um, having empathy and a kind heart, you know, giving back, helping others, there's a couple of things that I really learnt that can, you know, really just put you on the right track, some tips and strategies to, you know, practice. Um, but that was a really eye-opening experience, that three weeks in a mental health clinic. Uh, I learned a lot about myself, I learned a lot about people, I learned about, a lot about life. And it made me realise pretty quickly that, you know, rugby league's been a massive part of my life and it's gotten me through some really dark times and tough times, especially when I was probably growing up and a teenager. Um, but rugby league wouldn't be there forever. Yeah. And my friends and family would be. Mm -hmm. So I needed to change that. I needed to make sure that my wife and my closest friends and my support network were number one yeah. and rugby league was number two. Yeah. And once I did that, you know, I still rode the wins and losses and I still love rugby league and I still do my best every week. But I knew that if we had a loss or the team wasn't performing the way I wanted it to or you know, if things weren't going the way I would have liked on the field, that it didn't make me a bad person. It didn't mean yeah. that life was over like I previously thought it just meant that you know, I needed to go to training work harder and I hope, I hope that that didn't happen next week and, and try and learn from our mistakes and, and, and move forward but I could still live a normal life and a happy life away from the field Thank you for sharing that at what point in time did you realise that you, you needed to go and seek help? It was probably a, a two year period uh, for me a build up, that was when I was in Newcastle I was there from 2012 to 14. And that's when I probably realised, you know, we weren't that successful on the field yeah. in different stages. And that's probably when I realised, you know, that my mental health was struggling. I had my, you know, life in the, in the wrong order, I guess. Yeah, well, it, was, it, was a, it was a roller coaster time for you too. Good mate of yours, Alex McKinnon, breaks his neck mm. in, in a rugby league game. That was nasty the way he went into the ground. 
lifting. He's got him in a, yeah, he's put him in a dangerous spot, mate. He's always going to deal with this first. Oh, he just ducked his head in. You are a constant battle with the owner of the club to make sure you're getting paid the right amount of money you should be getting paid. Mm. And, you know, Newcastle were, were struggling on the field. Yeah. So it was a pretty rollercoaster time. You look back on it now and you go, well, maybe this was a blessing in disguise mm. that all these kind of things were, were happening. Yeah, I do. I do. Look, I look at it back in a, you know, a very a grateful way that I'm glad I went through that and that period. Yeah. Then, you know, say now when I'm retiring from rugby league and can only imagine how if I had that mentality that then to now, the struggles I'd be facing right now. But I felt like at the time I had 10 things that I was really, really struggling with. Um, and I was seeing a psychologist at the time uh, for probably two years prior to checking into mental health clinic. Yeah. Um, but I felt like I had, uh, you know, 10 things to talk about in an hour, hour a month or an hour every three weeks to talk about and when they could fit it in my schedule on yeah. rugby league. And I really just needed that proper break. I needed to just work on myself. Um, I needed to get away from football. On one hand, rugby league had given me so much, but it was also what was bringing me down as well. Yeah. Um, so I needed to just get away from it, work on myself. Um, you know, originally I thought, you know, I'll go to the, this clinic for you know, two or three weeks and I'll be better and I'll come straight back to rugby league and, and I'll just move on, life will be good. But um, once I went there, I went there for the three weeks. One of my plans from the clinic was to not, not to return to rugby league. Yeah. Uh, we had about six or seven weeks left in the season and they just thought it'd be best for me just to have a clean break. Um, I was in impatience, I was staying there, had all my meals cooked for me, yeah. um, have day groups, um, you have your own assigned psychologist, there's a gym there, you can do yoga, so the whole day is planned out and structured and you're purely there to work on yourself. As a rugby league player, it's something you don't work on a lot, you know, we work on our physical fitness, we work on our strength in the gym, but that kind of... You know, emotional fitness, that uh, mental fitness is something that we really don't work on. What was your mindset going into that? You know, you're checking in day one of the mental health clinic. What was your mindset? Were you a bit defensive? Were you a bit guarded going in there? I was, um, at that point, I was at that rock bottom point where I just, you know, I knew I, knew I needed some yeah. a change. I needed some help. The two years prior, I was seeing a psychologist and I was probably fighting it then with, um, you know, the... Why am I doing this? What's wrong with me? Yeah. Um, you know, what, I shouldn't even be here. I was fighting it for that probably two years. Chips were down. I was in a really, really bad way that um, I was really open and honest. I just wanted to um, get whatever help I needed. If I needed medication, I was happy with that. I needed you know, to learn some tips and strategies. Whatever I needed to do, I was just yeah. I was ready for it. Um, and I think that was that's half the battle sometimes. You think you've got to want it. You can't have, you know, friends and family might see you in a, you know, a space or a dark time uh, and know you might need some help, but you've got to want it for yourself because you've got to, you've got to do the work, you know, yeah. you've got to, you've got to listen, you've got to interact, you've got to have a plan, you've got to you know, action that plan. There's a lot of things that goes into it. So I remember driving to the clinic and parking at the front and it was a, you know, a bit daunting sitting in the car for a little bit just waiting to yeah uh, but I walked in and met a, a great nurse in there that I still keep in contact to this day she's been um, awesome for me and she was just yeah you know put an arm around me took me in and helped me out settled me in and um, those three weeks are probably you know, I look really really fondly back on those three weeks because um, those three weeks really changed and turned my life around. These things all happen 
behind the scenes a lot of the time when media get a hold of these things there's a lot of speculation and those types of things so I think it's absolutely awesome that you're speaking about it now because this was all going on while you were still trying to you know, pursue a rugby league career and, um, you know, it's really taste your dreams. So, mate, I, I thank you so much for, for sharing this and, uh, and, and talking about it. You go through your three weeks, you have a bit of time off. How was it for you to then get back into rugby league the following year? I was lucky enough to come back and sign with the Broncos. That was even more special because, obviously, you know, the Broncos was my club, like I said, growing up as a little boy and I never wanted to leave um, when I ended up going to the Dragons. But I'm grateful that I did. It was a good choice. Yeah, you won out. a premiership. Yeah. Well, in t- two ways. You know, yeah. I won a premiership with the Dragons, um, but also changed my, turned my life around from being yeah. in Newcastle Definitely. too. So I would never change that for the world. I never thought I'd have the opportunity to come back to Brisbane, so be able to come back and, and think that I'd probably be able to finish my career here as well. Um, and I've obviously I owe a lot to Wayne for getting me back in, yeah. in that period. So again, it was a blessing in disguise. I snapped my Achilles um, 10 days into training back at the Broncos. But... The best thing about that, I just spent three weeks um, in the clinic. I also spent probably another two months trying to action this plan that I want to implement to be a better human being and just enjoy life and be happy. So when I slapped my Achilles, obviously devastated um, 10 days in, but I knew it was going to give me you know, six months possibly to work on myself even further and yeah. do some of the things that I wanted to implement with this plan. So by the time I actually played in 2015 uh, for the Broncos, it almost been 12 months since I played. Um, I just think when I look back now you just never get that time in a professional rugby league career to have a, a break and, and work on yourself and yeah. for me I really needed it So you, you did get a chance and opportunity to finish your career at the Brisbane Broncos where you where you started where you dreamed about playing as a kid but again pretty much a roller coaster year 2020 for the Brisbane Broncos how did you deal with that pressure? Yeah I think uh, I'm very lucky that I've gone through what I've gone through and learnt what I've learnt yeah. So I could implement some of these strategies just to um, get through 2020. Um, not so much the on-field stuff. It was more, you know, COVID and uncertainty. Yeah, crazy. Uh, the bubble when we got back. Uh, obviously, now I was retiring, so I was going to move into a new ch- phase of life, which I'm in the process of right now. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of change and a lot of challenges for not just myself, but just, you know, everyone in the world and the community at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, it was definitely some challenges especially with the bubble and um, just not being able to you know, leave your home apart from training and games that was a yeah that was a challenge because I'm you know I've learned one of my tips and strategies is about you know catching up with my friends and having coffees and um, spending time with my support network yeah. um, and I couldn't really do that so that was definitely a challenge where are you at now with your life what's what's happening now you have retired uh, you've you've transitioned how are you going everyone's been asking me that a bit and um, with that Bubble, like I spoke about, we did we did eight weeks at the end home isolation, so only training in games. Yeah. Um, you know, Joel Fengawi was cutting my hair in the in the basketball courts every oh, two he's weeks. A, he's a bad barber too. Giving me a fade <laughs> and whatnot. Um, you know, I couldn't do the groceries, couldn't pick kids up from school. Uh, except for my wife Kayla's pregnant, um, so and we have a one year old and a five year old. So doing that and asking them to get me some steaks for dinner or yeah <laughs> groceries that was definitely a challenge. Um, so but even just now, obviously being retired, it's um, those last few weeks, on one hand, I was excited to you know, play the games and, and, and finish my career. and But on the other hand, I was just excited to get out of the bubble. So it was a really mixed feeling of I wasn't trying to wish my career away and finish it. But at the same time, I couldn't wait to get back into normality and see my support network and catch up with some mates and pick my kids up from school, willow up from school or you know drop her off or go to the beach. Like all these things you just take for granted and we were, yeah. I was missing. 
Um, but yeah, it's been it's been good. I've been I'm I suppose trying to keep a good routine. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of uh, work stuff in the Broncos community programs. Um, not too much though. I've been doing a little bit of training still. Uh, been going down the nippers on Sundays with uh, my eldest daughter. She's oh, enjoying nice. that. So been keeping pretty busy. But yeah, I'm excited for what's next. I'm excited for a different challenge. Yeah. I'll obviously miss footy once the boys go back and uh, they start playing next year. But there's parts that I won't miss too, which is a yeah. good thing as well. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. You definitely don't miss uh, feeling sore uh, after games. You definitely don't miss the first day of pre-season. And I can always remember the first day of doing squats in the gym too. Yeah. That always hurt for a good week. Trying to even just sit on the toilet was no good. Yeah. Um, you, you talk a lot about your um, support network. Wayne Bennett, he's been massive in, in your life, in your career, hasn't he? Well, I am. I mean, he's. Uh, I've been on that journey with him. Um, we spent a long, long time together. So, um, but I've just um, always enjoyed coaching him. He's a very, very honest guy. I've never had, you know, real major problems with behaviour with him. And any time we've had a problem or we've got an issue, I mean, he's always been mean enough to tell you the truth and tell you what's really going on. Yeah, it is a special bond. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily see myself as a father figure, but, but I've been there for him and he's been there for me, and uh, it's been a long. Um, bond and you know it was one that I experienced with the Broncos in the past as well I mean Darius came with me to two other clubs uh, but you know I had 21 years at the Broncos initially and um, I built a relationship with a lot of players there that are lifelong and he'll be one of those. Yeah he's been huge. I was lucky enough I had a high school coach uh, Rod Patterson he would have coached you maybe in Queensland or Australia? Uh, he coached against us a few times. I think he may have been an assistant coach yeah, for yeah, Queensland. Yeah, well, he's an awesome guy and um, I really took to him at school. He helped me get me to Palm Beach. Originally went to Rabina High and moved to Palm Beach purely for rugby league and their um, sport excellence program. But I've thanked him a lot recently, but I probably didn't thank him enough at the time. Yeah. Um, and then I was lucky enough to move straight from Pado to Wayne at the Broncos and there's more stability with Wayne again. Cared about you as a person more than the player, um, cared about your upbringing, where you're from, yeah. um, what are you doing with your finances, how you're feeling, how you you're think, going. Do you think that's the best thing about him as a coach? Yeah, by far, yeah. definitely. And I think everyone knows that, that anyone that's had anything to do with him, um, he's so well respected among the game. Everyone um, from all different teams, you know, pick up the phone, ask his advice, just has that aura about him and it's backed on, on the back of, you know, the way he cares about his players more than just... The, you know, the athlete and what they can give you on the field. Yeah, um, he was always there, and I mean, I still struggle and still had made some bad decisions and still had some bad times and dark times. But I imagine they would have been ten times worse if, if Wayne wasn't around. And I've grown so much as a person, uh, more confident in myself now that you know we, I can easily ring Wayne and have a normal conversation. Where uh, six, seven, eight years ago, um, we had a good bond, but um, yeah. you know, I would never ring him. He'd always ask me how I am. He'd always check in on me, but I never really repaid that favour. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, I'm, I'm older. I'm, you know, a father. I'm more experienced. I uh, understand, you know, relationships and people and how it all works. And, you know, I have the confidence um, to, you know, ring Wayne and just have a chat and ask him how his family is, how he's going. And um, sometimes we don't even talk about football, but um, so that's been really nice. What are you doing with yourself now? You're doing some stuff you're saying with uh, the Broncos community program. So going into schools and, and talking about mental health, how's that going for you? Yeah, I really enjoy it. Uh, I've been doing it for probably the last, probably for four or five years since uh, one, of my, one of my plans from leaving the clinic was to get out in the community and give yeah. back and help others. It's a great feeling inside. I think when you have a greater cause than yourself and uh, for me, 
only thinking sometimes you think I'm a rugby league player and that's it you know so uh, to be able to get out in the community and give back and feel like you have like I said yeah a greater cause than than yourself or than just being that rugby league player was one of my plans so um, so yeah I'm really enjoying that I, I get a lot out of it I'm doing a bit of study but uh, a couple of little side businesses that are trying to start getting up at the moment which I'm looking forward to so I feel like I've got you know, a couple of things there at the moment now and on one hand, it's daunting to finish rugby league. That yeah. That's all I've really known. I've kind of been planning for retirement for three or four years now, so I feel like I couldn't be in a better space for it. You've got a book out. You're a publisher now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Um, yeah, it's something that I got asked to do, and it's called Battling the Blues, which I wanted to try and make it as far away from rugby league as possible yeah. um, and obviously that was as hard as always going to be rugby league because um, it's my career and what people will probably know me as a rugby league player but uh, I wanted to have a lot of these you know tips and strategies a lot about my life and my experiences uh, with the mental health space and I wanted to be a bit of a tool going forward not only for some of the work that I do but to hopefully help other people um, in similar situations if maybe they've gone through a similar background uh, as we know everyone's you know Life's a roller coaster. Everyone's going to have some challenges, changes, or crises in life. But it's just about you know being resilient and um, having some of these tips and strategies to get through them. Yeah, the most pleasing thing is yeah the the, the positive feedback that I've had, or if I've changed you know someone's life in a different way, or um, it's helped you know, a friend of a friend, then you know, that's that's really beneficial. It's absolutely amazing. I love the title too. Bit of a play on words, battling yeah. the blues. Darius, I'll go back to the start. Over 380 professional games of rugby league, playing for three different clubs in the Broncos, the Dragons, the Newcastle Knights, representing your state and country with absolute pride, mate. Uh, it was an honour to play with you on the field. And, mate, it was an honour today to have you here to tell your story and share your story. I think more professional sporting men and women should share their stories because... I think there's um, a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes battles that a lot of people don't know about, and you know, having that magnifying glass on you constantly can be tough, and also magnify those issues. So, hopefully, by uh, yourself, myself, uh, other sporting people speaking up and telling their stories, we can encourage more to practice some some gratitude, some empathy, and putting them in place while they're playing, so that we can grow, become better people, become better human beings, and it makes us better sporting people as well so Darius Boyd thank you very much for uh, for joining me today and uh, mate I wish you all the best uh, in the future no worries thanks for having me thanks Appreciate mate it. in the next episode of We Are Human and today's special guest is is someone special to me actually a good mate of mine Jeral Yao Yi never knew my father um, you know when you grow up in an indigenous family Sam you probably so it, they say it it, uh, it takes a village to um, you know raise raise a child and look I sat Sammy I sat in that hospital so much with her and talked about yeah talked about death and I can't do anything I've got to wear this ankle brace for the rest of my life I couldn't get out of it man it got bad it got really bad um, I was not picking up anyone's phone calls so mum was calling me my grandmother was calling me people were calling me and I just didn't care about anyone I was on the ground and I was just crying and I was just like I can't do this shit anymore by the day that I I thought so hard about killing myself that if it wasn't for I reckon if it wasn't for my neighbour to pick up if she didn't pick up her phone that was probably going to be it